The Game of Zen explores the often overlooked ways in which professional, personal, and spiritual growth are interrelated. We dive deep into the life teachings of the Buddha and the mindfulness practices of Zen, revealing how they can help us dramatically expand our possibilities for wholehearted work, life, and play. Hello and welcome back to the Game of Zen podcast. We are excited to present part two of our insightful interview with the great Pat Croce. Stay tuned after the interview for a post-game wrap-up with myself and Paul. And thank you very much for listening. I think when you can take them to realize that they are what they are not. And if they're not their thoughts and feelings, and these thoughts just come and go. They're neutral. They're no enemy to a thought. However, when you attach the movie of me to it, the me, and you become a protagonist in the movie to this thought, then that thought becomes a belief. And that belief can fuel and stimulate those neutral sensations in the body, which then become feelings. And then the feelings can ignite emotions. And then it's just a vicious circle. So if we can break into that, knowing that you're not the thoughts, you're not the sensations that purge and merge into beliefs and feelings, then, well, we can let them all come and go. And the only way that I know to do that is to advise in a meditation. I think mm -hmm. the meditation practice to me is the pinnacle because if in a quiet moment you can see thoughts come and go and feelings come and go, agitation come and go and everything Everything arises perfectly. Just let it come and go. Let it build your let it go muscle, as Sharon Salzberg would say. Then, when you come in time of stress or anxiety, well, wow, then let's see how this works for you. I guess the hardest step after that would be to that awareness or consciousness that I truly am, that sunyata, that emptiness, fullness, however you want to describe it with words, which are clumsy to realize the nature of that. Now that, that takes some work, you know that. And that's really, once they get there, then game's over. <laughs> the game's over. The game yeah. of Zen is over. It's a beautiful description, Pat, of, of the practice of meditation and what we're doing. I love that, is just to be at the center of the onion and then allow, in a sense, you know, the, those layers to fall away. And we don't, with our with our practice, we don't work with, you know, directly necessarily or wrestle with for sure those layers of conditioning. When we're really able to activate the awareness that's at the core, that's the most important thing. Um, we have these qualities in Zen um, that we talk about as the qualities that are most important to cultivate uh, on a spiritual path with spiritual practice. And the terms that my lineage uses are faith, doubt, and determination. Mm. And we can, we can, you know, Reframe, re rephrase confidence in yourself. That's the faith, faith in yourself. Curiosity, that's the doubt. You're questioning everything and grit. And I look at your path, your career, and I just see these in spades. You've already talked about the listening and the questioning. That's the curiosity. You obviously have a great deal of grit. And then the self-confidence feels like it's been there. Not only self-confidence, but faith in, in others and faith in, in the goodness and the possibility of wholeness and thriving and abundance. All those three qualities just seem to be very 
present in your life and in your career. So for someone who wants to grow in advance in the way that you have, are, are do, do these ring true for you? Can you say something about the qualities that you've kind of inherent qualities that you've cultivated that helped you on your uh, professional and spiritual paths? Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the compliment. I love those qualities. I might say, though, confidence is something that comes from experience. So that uh, I'm a big I don't want to say believer because I don't believe in anything. I, I know from experience. Uh, I've let the attachment to beliefs go in all beliefs. I, I firmly know that experience is the test of truth, not belief, not dogma, not doctrine, not hearsay, not opinion. Even the Buddha said, don't listen to me. Take what I say and use it on your own. A finger pointing to the moon. The Dharma is not enlightenment, the moon of enlightenment. Take your attention, not away from the Dharma, the words I speak of. Use them yourself. So I think it's important for your listeners to build confidence, to take role models, to get teachers, to see examples of things, of what they want to manifest, of what they want to imitate, and then use those exercises for themselves the game plan for you to win in yourself. And then little bit by little bit, meditation being one of them. Just go meditate, for ten, sit outside and feel the breeze across your cheek. Hear the birds. Listen to the absence of the bird tweets. Just, you'll realize that you're not thinking. But to say don't think doesn't work because that's a thought. So that, to me, is experience. And that builds confidence so that when you're sitting in a boardroom or in a conference room and stuff is happening and you're getting aggravated with someone who's talking too much when they're past their due time, there's uh, a thought. It's just a thought. Let it go. And if then it's infused from love and truth, compassion and wisdom from your, your lineage, then... I got a question or speak up. However, then it's not ego. It's no karmic action. However, if you react like I used to do all the time, just react conditionally without thinking, or I was thinking that, but I was thinking like the past, that's karmic action. I'm going to keep getting what I'm getting because I keep doing what I'm doing. Stop. I say, I use the metaphor of a movie director. Cut. (laughs) Right. Right. All right. I'm I'm curious, Pat, since you left the Sixers, and, and by the way, side note, the Sixers haven't made it to the finals since 2001, and we also haven't made it past the second round. So I don't know. We miss you. But um, since That's you... just not me. You know that. <laughs> I know. I know. It's been tough. But um, since you've left there and you've been involved with these other business ventures, how have you, how is your spiritual practice sort of since you've been more spiritual and meditated more, how has it changed the way you handle either conflicts in business or com- competition or the pursuit of excellence? Like, how has it informed your your world now in business? And that's a really good question. And I have to take you through a little diagram. Okay. And first, Paul, you'll like this. I, I get up early, 3.34 every morning, and I meditate. I journal, read a little, have some granola with coffee. Uh, work out, take the dogs for a walk, come back, 
and have breakfast, good breakfast. So eight o'clock, I'm ready to go. I mean, I've done my, all my self-actualization and just, however, to answer your question, the meditation and meditation has changed for me to a degree that I'm not object oriented with meditation as much as I am with the abiding and the resting in our true nature of awareness of just being aware. Just, I mean, it sounds silly. It sounds too simple, but that's really just, and then I can take it off the cushion. I can always have that being aware, the presence of being aware, aware being always, we all share it. The I am that I am is the same. I am that you are right. However, we all share it. And then I can take it out into the workforce, into play, wherever it is. It's always in the background. I kind of use the metaphor. There's a, a wheel and I used to have both feet on the perimeter of the wheel running around frantically. Now, you can put both two feet in the center of that peaceful still wheel and then take one foot out. It's still one foot in, one foot out, and you can still play the game of, of Zen in the game of form. However, I don't take both feet out. So I never, I can't say never. I can't say never because I was in uh, Tibet just uh, two months ago and I got dysentery and I was, I was in Nepal going to Tibet and I was afraid that if I got over into Tibet and to China and I still had this dysentery, they were going to put me in quarantine. And so my mind, the mind that I've been working on for the past decade, all of a sudden reverted back to this crazy wild Irishman and started saying, we'll lock you up. You'll never get home. You're going to have to spend the next month in the da, 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 da. And so eventually, though, I used some of the techniques and realizations that, whoa. However, you know, when you don't get sleep at night and you're, you know, you're running around to the John back and forth and you're, you know, however many miles I am from home, you know, 20 hours from 24 hours from home. It, but to make your point is my meditation becomes who I am, not what I do. And that's, I think, all of us. I think you just right now, when you're listening to me speak, that which is aware is reality. It's re it is who you are. It's not Paul and Scott listening to Pat. That's an afterthought. But in the experiencing, in the present moment, it's just being aware. And what's what you're aware of is merging with what you your conceptual knowledge. And then what happens when people are still, all of your entrepreneurs are listening, that in that stillness, the divine universe comes up with some, you're still enough to listen to the quietness. It comes up as the voice, not the voice in the head, but the capital V voice, an intuition, an inspiration, a serendipity, whatever you might call it, it comes up and it merges with past conceptual knowledge to create some new experiential understanding. You go, wow, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> so that to me is, but if we're not, if we're always racing and running, and I used to be that, you know me, I was always in perpetual motion. And luckily there were times I was so tired that I had to be still. And maybe that's when this divine Buddha in all of us came and said, yeah. yep. it, it, it's really rich how you, how you describe your experience of, of being 
all of the above. <laughs> you know, it's it's this human existence with its monkey mind and it's this divine unified consciousness at, at the heart of it. And you use this uh, image of having one foot at the center of the wheel and then one out in the samsaric swirl of the wheel. And that's so important, I think, for all of us to to accept is that there's there's not this place of purity where we're abstractly transcended above everything. We're always suffering. We're always in these bodies. We're always confused. And it's always, you know, all of the above. In Zen, we call that koan. Oh, yeah. Contradictory realities that are actually both a hundred percent true are all a hundred percent true so we're, we're all of it um at Paul, the same if I, time if i'd interrupt i never gave the diagram i got caught ah, off somewhere i just do. because i think you'll benefit from this because all of your listeners have a dream a vision a purpose i call it the vision breakdown it was in one of my old books 20 years ago the leader get off the pot i called it the vision breakdown but i still use it today However, you'll see where it's a little different. So let's say you have a vision. You can call it a purpose, an intention, whatever you want to say. You break that vision down into time-sensitive goals, not wishes. They have to have some time to it. Otherwise, it's just an arbitrary wish. You take each goal and you break it further down into strategies on how am I going to achieve that goal, which is part of the ultimate purpose, the vision. Then you take each strategy and you break it further down into action steps. And those action steps go on your to-do list. And each and every action step is not a means to an end. It's an end unto itself. That's the difference. You vertically integrate your being in the doing. I call it the how you do it. In the now creates the wow. So just imagine that if every now you had a wow, how's the outcome not going to be a wow? Right? It has to be a wow. That's, but I want to redefine for everyone success. Someone asked me, I was given, I don't do motivational speaking anymore, but I, was, I helped fund the Center for Contemplative Studies at Westchester University where I first went my first two years until I got thrown out for fighting. But that's nevertheless, that was the only. <laughs> However, this, there were, once a year I would go and there'd be, you know, in the big hall, everyone would come in. Someone asked a question, well, would you think like this or be like this if you weren't a success? And I said, you're presuming that I was a success. If I was a success, why did I always need more? Why could I not fill at ease with what I was and what I had? How come I always kept chasing and chasing? There was this big hole in me that I didn't know required to be filled and filled and filled. And it was only temporary filled with what we call pleasure, accolades, standing ovations, books, whatever it might be, a, ne a new center, a new restaurant, doesn't matter, a new win. It never was filled, never was filled. And from that, once this realization of our true nature came to be that this infinite, imperturbable mm. openness, expansiveness that's everyone where is the worry? Where is the need for more? Where's the need for uh, discontent or the sense of lack? That's really what happened. The sense of lack kept coming back. Now I don't have that sense of lack. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, Scott, I wanted to give that vision breakdown because everyone can do that. But don't 
think that picking up a phone call and calling Scott and Paul because it's on your to-do list, that's just something you got to do to get to the next. No, that's the most important thing you could possibly, that's your life. That's everything. That's an awesome diagram, Pat. And, and riffing on it a little bit, you know, I think a lot of people, they get caught up in that action item task-based level because they're not in touch with those higher levels of the vertical integration you just talked about, right? Vision, um, goal, strategy, and then task, if you will. And I talk about this with slightly different language that I, I, I like your language better, but I talk about vows, goals, and tasks. Oh, that's and good. To have that, that highest level is really about vow and vision, right? What you really want to do in the world, which comes from your deepest values and your deepest, um, biggest sense of yourself. And, your and is that now, is that spell vow, V-O-W? V-O-W, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that's better than mine. I, I like <laughs> that. Yeah. Vision is, is big too. Vision is important too. And it's, it's, it's connected to vow, you know, how well, you know what? there's something the that's what there's uh, whether it's vision or vow or intention, uh, you go yeah. back to the Upanishads, you know, yeah. there's as is your desire. So is your intention as is your intention. So is your will as is your will. So is your deed as is your deed. So is your destiny. So our deepest desire, our vow, our values are so vital to fulfilling our destiny. And that's really important if we want to change someone. We can't. Unless you know their deepest desire, your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, forget about it. You cannot change them. You, it won't work. You're just going to beat your head against the wall and have more dukkha lumps all over. No, no. Unless they share with you their deepest desire, their intentions, there's no way you can help. So don't, don't try to control, manipulate, or change someone else. Be there in the listening mode for them. And if they ask your advice, ah, knock them out. <laughs> It's awesome. It's really um, in, inspiration and encouragement uh, is the way I see it, is the things that you really you can do. And in fact, one Zen teacher was asked, you know, what is Zen teaching all about? And he said encouragement. And then his his monk asked him again, well, what else? And he said encouragement and encouragement and <laughs> encouragement. Those Zen masters are a trip. They're great. Said, I'm not giving you anything. Yeah, I'm not going to teach you any, give you any knowledge that you can't find within yourself. It's none of that. It's just inspiration and, and encouragement. And I think you you just really put your finger on that. Paul, I, I have to ask you a question because I love I love Zen. Uh, I spent some time with Dosho Port. He wrote uh, yeah. a book on Katajeri. He uh, he was out in Bhutan with us, and then I helped I helped support his uh, um, what do you call his. Uh, satsang his uh sangha you know his uh house when he was in i think nebraska or something now he's back in minnesota and then uh is there in zen is there certain books that like the three pillars of zen or like i loved alan watts and the the, the way of zen are there certain books that you recommend for people yeah, the, the, the books I recommend actually are uh, Shunryu Suzuki's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Ah, uh, yeah. Shoshin. I like that. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. Um, Charlotte Joko Beck's Everyday Zen, although, and both of these books are decades old, but I th still think is, is an Could excellent- you repeat that, please? What was that one? Uh, Everyday Zen by Charlotte oh. Joko Beck. I don't know that one. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And, and actually, I'll recommend a uh, one that was just published recently by a close friend and colleague of mine from the Boulder Zen Center here, um, Zenki Dillo Roshi, called The Path of Aliveness. Is oh. a real modern, real modern take on Zen. You know, one I li really liked, I had read years ago, was Nothing Holy About It by Tim Burkett. Tim Burkett. Yes. I, was, I know him. I don't know that book. but He had a lot of great stories in it, like, a, you know, all those great metaphors and the Bodhidharma story. Obviously, the title's based on the Bodhidharma, the, you know, all emptiness, nothing holy about it. You know, it's, it was, yeah. but I, I really enjoy, I enjoy reading Zen. Yeah. 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 And we, we actually love making book recommendations. So uh, we That's usually it. do. Yeah. So that was great. And I, I also really like how everybody, every book, every author looks at it differently. And there's all these different angles and you look at it a slightly differently than Paul does. And so it's fascinating to hear this conversation because there's, Every and, and every entrepreneur is also dealing with a different situation, too. So how do you interpret these? How do you read these books and bring them and interpret to your own life? It's pretty cool. Scott, and you have to know, you do know that the perennial truth doesn't change, regardless of the tradition of wisdom. It doesn't change. Every There's only three qualities in, a, in the truth. The truth. It's ever present, never changing, and self-evident. Mm -hmm. sun is self-evident it doesn't need anything to shine on itself to heat itself the i am that which we are being aware doesn't need anything to tell you that you exist and you're aware and you, we don't our true self doesn't change so regardless of zen sufi hindu catholicism judaism it really doesn't matter they all come down mm -hmm. to this single truth peace and happiness are our true nature and we share our true nature, our beingness, with everyone and everything. Like, boom, done. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we talk a lot about the Noble Eightfold Path and oh. how, do we, how do we gain enlightenment. And we're, we're exploring that in our other episodes. So um, we love that conversation. And we could go on all day, but I do, uh, in the interest of time, I, I have one final question for you. Uh, as you're getting, you know, older and your career is, uh, you know, you're, you're moving on from certain things, like what's really most important to you now and how are you out there being a bodhisattva? Mm, I love that spiritual warrior. I, I love that. And what's most important to me now is in any way possible to transmit the understanding of our true not of our true nature, of our oneness and I do it through the Meditation Hill Sangha. This is our going into our fifth year every Sunday from 11 to... Dosho Port came on one Sunday. It was wonderful. From uh, Not that I normally have guests. From 11 to 12.30 Eastern time. Uh, I, I send out a tweet every day with a little nugget. Well, if it has some sports in it, tie, I still tie it to the spiritual world. You'll see a lot more likes, but... I really don't care if they like it or not. That's not, you know, that, that ego thing has been flushed down the toilet. I, um, uh, what else? Oh, uh, now with the American Cancer Society, I'm, I'm hosting a podcast. We just started. It will launch this, the end of this month called Mind, Body, Spirit, Cancer. And we have, and now this is the national. So I started in a local venue for them 
two years ago every Wednesday. But this is we've gotten Stephen A. Smith from ESPN, uh, Jack Cornfield came on, uh, Maria Menounos uh, from uh, Today's Show. So it, but it's all related to cancer. However, I inculcate the spiritual end because I don't, I'm not doing it unless I can fulfill my intention is to lessen suffering, starting with me and then everyone that I come in contact with. That's why I continue to read, to listen to you, so that I can formulate new ways, better ways, different ways in which to transmit this beautiful, wonderful knowledge that anyone can absorb and use it. We're starting at the freaking goal. Now, that's the beauty of this path. It's the only path I know of that we start at the goal. It's an excavation. It's not an accumulation. There's not like... In martial arts, you start a white belt and you move your up to a black belt, then you're enlightened. No, you're all a black belt. Got to just take off the veils and the filters and the conditions and all the other crazy stuff. It's amazing. That's It's our goal, your goal, my goal, really to just keep ringing the bell. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. And so, Paul, uh, we're going to include your podcast in our show notes. We'll, we'll put a link there. And also, uh, I just wanted to ask a little bit about your sangha. And uh, can people join it? And how do you find it? And what do you talk about? So uh, Meditation Hill Sangha is called that because I'm here at Meditation Hill. This is my personal retreat. And we talk, I do a Dharma talk, the beginning of it. Then Diane comes on and tries to ground me. Here's this more common sense stuff. But I do, whether it's on, it could be on anything. It could be on forgiveness. It could be on self-inquiry. It could be on, and I just talk for 10, 12, 15 minutes. It depends. And then, People raise their hand, people talk, ask questions, and we have anywhere between 100 to, it doesn't, you know, I, I really, we have 300 some members. To join requires nothing other than an invitation from someone on Sangha. So you're, you're allowed to give the invitation. No one's allowed to post anything on social media. I don't market it. I don't want it marketed. I, I, it's a safe place. Uh, if, I mean, I have psychologists psychiatrists, orthopedic surgeons, trial lawyers, submarine commanders, yogis, I mean, massage therapists, teachers, all walks of life from all over the country. And it just started out on my front porch. I was like, uh, what was it? The, the Stoics. The Stoa. Stoa means porch, and that's how Zeno started. That's not what I was doing. I was just meeting with people on my front porch almost five years ago in the summer. And it, I thought, well, why not just, I've been to enough retreats around the world why not make this one just different? It doesn't, non-denominational, I mean, they're all walks of life, Buddhists, people, some who've been really out there and have opened up, like really, I don't want to say any one person is enlightened because you're not a person anymore, right? It, they've embodied enlightenment, but no one would say I'm enlightened. If you say you're enlightened, obviously you're not, because that would be the moth touching the flame saying, oh, look at this, I'm on fire. <laughs> but that's what the song is all about. And it's a way for people. And I give a sadhana, a tool exercise, an instrument each week. One, the first one, you'll love this, came from the Art of Happiness. I took it from the Dalai Lama. All I want you to do this week, and you're free to do it or not do it. You're free to raise your hand. You're free to come on Sunday. The freedom is part of our true nature. That, that which is aware is free of all attachments and beliefs and fears and desires. Freedom moksha, to replace judgment with curiosity. That's all you got to do all this week. Just when you call that guy an asshole, oh, wonder why he's such a <laughs> That's all. Just that 
moment, that blink of hesitation, that sacred pause, you're you're on the path. You're moving on the path. That that's what's and these. I got to say, Scott and Paul, you know it because you have sanghas and you. People changed. I used to believe people don't change. No, no, no. This this awakening process, this dissolving of the vasanas of the mind, this architecture, this conditioned beliefs, they dissolve, and people realize through experience, their experience, that they're not irritated so much, and if they are. It's not for so long. It just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful, Pat. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate you've been an inspiration to me for a long time, really, just between the way you operated the Sixers, but everything else that you've done in your career, now this path that you're on. And I look forward to your tweets every day. Oh, thank uh, you. It's, it's really great stuff. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. Paul, thank you for having me. I continued success and uh, I enjoyed being with you. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Pat. It's been a real pleasure, Pat. Thank you. All right. And uh, please uh, like and comment and subscribe to the Game of Zen podcast and tune in for a new episode soon. And thanks again, Pat. Have a great day. Peace. Hello and welcome to an episode of The Game of Zen, a special post-game wrap-up for our amazing interview with Pat Croce. How you doing today, Paul? I'm doing really well. Good to be here. Good. Um, I thought that was an amazing conversation. I, I think he's a fantastic individual and he had so much good stuff to say. And I figured, you know, we would spend some time and talk to our listeners about what we learned. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, with all due respect to me and you and our previous guests, I think it was our best episode yet. Pat was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's a, he's a really fantastic individual, and he taught. You know, I learned a lot. This is what's so great about you know producing this podcast, and I hope you, the listeners, will have the same thing. But I learned from every single time that we do it. So I'm going to send you some questions, Paul, about what we learned, and you can expand on things that Pat said. The first thing that I thought was interesting is that he had a, a Satori, a moment when he had a realization. And what was interesting to me is like, I thought for some reason that he had been into this for a long time, because when I met him, he was, in, you know, he had so many good things that were going on. And, and then I learned he was into Zen Buddhism. And, and I figured that he had been doing this for 20, 30 years, but that wasn't the case. He had an awakening about nine or 10 years ago. So how does that how does the Satori come into play with a guy like that or someone else? Yeah, it was. it's one of the most uh, um, interesting things about his path is, is how he, as he said, he was on the path without knowing he was on the path. And you knew him back 20 years ago, and he seemed to be a very open and, and awakened guy, awake guy. But by his own testimony, he actually had a, a real breakthrough experience nine or 10 years ago. Satori is a term, it's actually kind of a technical technical term almost in um in zen buddhism and it means a, a falling away of your whole personality structure so in in zen we actually have two terms for different types of breakthrough experiences awakening experiences one is kensho and pat might have actually used that term as well and a kensho we understand it it's it's a you really lose your ego structure you you recognize your big self you see yourself in its biggest context and you see the limitations of your conditioning, 
with respect to your ego and your selfhood. Um, but Kensho experiences aren't necessarily permanent. Your conditioning comes back. It creeps back in and uh, starts to take over again. Your, your habit mind takes over again. Satori's are understood as more lasting, a real, real falling away of your personality structure. Now your day-to-day -day life and your relationships and the way you see yourself is continuously grounded in a deeper sense of your awakened nature um, instead of your conditioned self. So it's, it's a big deal. And uh, you can tell that he had a really big experience. Yeah. And one thing that he said, too, was that he's part of his realization was that everything occurs in our head. And if you want to change your life, begin by changing your mind. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very powerful um, because it's something that, you know, we all can do. <laughs> you know, you, we all can change your mind. And here, you know, was a guy that was super successful. He was famous. He'd written books and he was chasing after things and more success and bigger houses and things like that. And then he came to this realization that that was all in his head and that once he changed his mind and started focusing on more of the present moment and mindfulness, he became happier and more enlightened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the essence of our spiritual practice. It's the essence of Zen. It's the essence of all of the deepest wisdom traditions that have come down to us from Eastern traditions as well as Western traditions. There's Western contemplative traditions that, you know, see this, that we really create a reality um, within our own mind, uh, with the, with our filters and our conditioning. So, but, but we're so outwardly focused, we're just so conditioned to think that the external world is what is important uh, for us to establish our own happiness, you know, on the, on the basis of externals. Um, it's, it's just the, in the nature of, of human conditioning to, to feel that way. But when you really see all the way through how you're creating everything and how that gives you the power to change that, it's, a, it's an incredibly liberating experience. And yes, and one of the quotes that I, I really, you know, resonated with me was pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. And so can you kind of explain a little bit more of that? Yeah, that's th th those terms, you know, that phrase has been bandied about for a while. And um, in in terms of um, Buddhist Dharma, you know, at least in the, the, the terminology that we use, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that because we say the first noble truth is dukkha, which is the, 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 the truth of suffering, which is that our human experience is, is permeated with, with suffering. So it's not necessarily... Um, spoken of in the same way, but 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 there's a profundity to that statement, which is that we experience pain. There's no way to anesthetize ourselves or to avoid the pain of being human. You know, we're going to lose things we love. We're gonna our bodies are gonna feel pain when injurious things happen to them. Um, that's part of being human. What's optional? And that word is is a little bit snarky yeah. <laughs> in a way, but but there is a truth here, is that um, we add to that. The Buddha called it the second arrow, right? We have this, mm -hmm. the first arrows are just the pains that we suffer from being human, but the second arrow are the the additional difficulties we have that are are typically due to our reactive patterns around those pains, namely. We, we don't want to feel pain, so we're trying to run away from it or uh, 
protect ourselves from anything happening or, you know, quickly fixing it. So it's all of that stuff, the monkey mind that is protecting us or trying to trying to fix the situation that ends up causing a hundred times more suffering than the initial pain does. Yep. So the level of suffering is is where you can really make changes in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, suffering is 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 there, but you know, as you really deal with it better, then it becomes less and it changes your life. And another thing that he mentioned is the game of Zen, which I, you know, uh, he brought up m multiple times and it changes your life really. When you learn how to go down this path, it literally is life changing. And I think like he he's living it and you know, he brought out um, one of the things I wanted to mention was this diagram he talked about with vision, goal, strategy and task. And how did that, you know, kind of change his life, his changing his thinking um, and and redefining the success in his life? So how does that diagram really fit into the Zen practice? It, it fits right in. Um, Pat, you and I were talking about it. He kind of got our game of Zen metaphor in some ways, I think even, even better than we got it, yes. you know, he helped us to go, Oh yeah, that was that you get, wow, that's it. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's kind of the game within the game, right? We all play these games of career and of romance and of achievement, um, family dynamics, you know, they all have, they all have a game like quality to them that where we can do better or worse. And uh, that's okay. You know, that's, that's the way things work in terms of being human. But the game of Zen is the inner game that really understands that, that um, th there's a deeper path of kind of, of awareness and self-development that is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing that game, then the winning those other games has a whole different character to it. You don't, you don't have to win yeah. according to the rule set of those games, right? You don't have to make a million dollars and win the game of, you know, commerce. You don't have to get the trophy partner and win the game of romance, right? Those are those are the rules around that. Um, but no, you can, when you're really playing the inner game, um, then you're just you're just having fun with some of those other games. But the inner game requires you to really be honest and authentic about how you want to show up in the world so that's why he's kind of we all we all get you know strategies and tasks and goals right we all kind of have those as our agenda in life but when you add a layer of vision and vow to that you're like wow i've got a really big vision for how i want to see the world and how mm -hmm. i want to operate in it as a person and then i have a vow which is a really deep intention about how to be that right how to how to bring that about that's that's the 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 zen the game of zen part that puts everything into perspective and makes makes those other games lighter and more fun yeah. and more liberating yeah the game of work and the game of play and the game of uh you know hiking and all these other things you know you could really weave it into a lot of the things in your daily life which is awesome yeah so you had and you had mentioned vows as a big part of it too so can you explain the sort of the difference between vision and vows or are they the same oh i think uh i think they're kind of the same they're sort of in the same territory uh a vow a, a vision might be you know how you see the world um and how you see um what you'd like to create in the world okay and then your vow is your commitment to being a certain way or creating a certain thing so it's it's very personal 
you know, I, I give um, people as, as a preceptor, I, 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 we call we give them the precepts. So they receive the precepts. Um, the, the vow has to come from inside, but then I, I can, I can give them the understanding and the framework of the Buddhist precepts, but it doesn't have to be a religious, you know, precept like that. The Buddhist vows, it can just be a deep vow to, um, serve the world in a certain yes. way. I mean, there's there's a lot to vow. There's there's reactive vows. There's inherited vows, yes. and then there's inspired vows. So we can do a whole bit on vows. Yeah. Um, and but the inspired vows are ones that really come from within your own uh, deepest aspiration for your own life. And when when your when your life is is run by vow, or when you're leading your life by vow, it's just an incredible joy. Yeah. You know, it gives it gives you real direction that all of the 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 social and the and the cultural and even potentially the familial um agendas you know don't give you it's just a depth and a joy there i i think that's an important point and also that there's different levels of vows and there's you know there's a very you know strict you know uh, you live in a monastery there's very strict rules and vows that you take to be there and but it's you don't need to be intimidated by that if you want to bring zen and buddhism into your life you can have your vows down here. You don't have to have, you know, you don't have to wear a robe and, and, you know, shave your head. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep a little bit of hair left here. So um, <laughs> I don't intend to do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I don't intend to do that, but I, I have other vows. Like I vow to meditate as much as I can every single day and, and things like that. So I think you can kind of build your own, you know, level of your goals and your tasks and your vows and, and get out of the teachings uh, what you want and you don't have to go all the way. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as you know, Scott, I mean, I, I talk about this territory with respect to what I call the three sacred contracts in our life. So there's the contract with self, the contract with other and the contract with work, all of them being equally sacred. So we think, well, the contract, the sacred contract with self, well, oh, you got to be a monk or you have to be a priest to like take the, you know, ordain and take mm -hmm. religious vows in order to be sacred in your life. That's not true. No, we can all have sacred vows around what we want to accomplish in our life. Many of us take marriage vows. That's the, that's the sacred dimension of your connection with other. And then we all really do have a sacred connection to our work. Yeah. Um, it, it, our culture doesn't honor that. It doesn't really see that. Work is instrumental um, for, for, you know, in most of our understanding. But, but it's an equally sacred contract for us to find what's in deep service yeah. uh, for us in our work. So our work becomes meaningful. So it is you know, connects us with the greater whole. So it really brings out the deeper purpose in our own life. Um, yeah. So vow, vow for all of us, vow operates across all three of those dimensions. And, and what I love, Pat would just, I think he naturally came to that, yeah. right? He didn't, he didn't recognize that it wasn't overt for him through most of his career, but then he had this, this awakening experience and he realized, well, wow, I can actually, work in service across all dimensions of my life. And you can tell he's doing it now. Yeah. And for me, like watching him over those years, like I, I thought he already was doing all this stuff like mm -hmm. really well, like just the way he, you know, when he brought, came into the Sixers and changed everything, you know, we talked a lot about that and he listened to everyone. That's something he brought up. And I, I want to tell a really quick story about listening because 
uh, right after Pat mentioned that the Sixers had a terrible year when he took over. And before the next year, he sat down with uh, a bunch of the season ticket holders and he said, you know, come early to the game and I want to listen to you talk about the Sixers and figure out how to make it better. And me and my partner, Ron, were setting up our computers. We're just sitting there and Pat was like behind us. Right. And Pat's like, OK, who has who has a comment or question? Well, Philadelphia fans are pretty passionate about their sports. They ripped into him. They were like, you guys think, I mean, I'm not going to repeat what they're saying, but they were, you know, he opened up the door and said, I want to listen to you, the fan, how to make it better. And they really gave it to him. And none of it was his fault. He just, you know, he just came on the scene a couple months earlier, but he was genuinely interested in what the fans wanted out of the organization. And I'm sure it was an unpleasant day for him, but he listened and he did, he did change things and he made everything better. The culture got better. The fans got happier. The, 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 the product was better. And so I think the value of him, you know, going through that whole process really made him a better leader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love your tales of, of his uh, mindset um, back then, you know, 20 years ago yeah. without even being, you know, explicit about that. He just had this, um, this natural, we, we call it bodhicitta, you know, there's a word yeah, for it, it's way seeking mind. And sometimes it's just a natural kind of glimmer within. Um, but we all have it to, to one extent or another. And uh, he, he had it and then it's just become more and more conscious for him. I love that bodhicitta word. It's so great. And I do think he, uh, he is a great example of that. And also an example of someone that didn't realize, it. you know, another thing he said he was on the path and didn't realize it. Yeah. But he had all the qualities of of being a bodhicitta and has, has a lot of Buddha nature. And by the way, so does everybody here listening. And so do you and I. And we all have it. It's more a question. I think you explained this to me one time about unlocking it in yourself. And, yeah. and it's inside of you. And now you, you have to think about it and bring it out. And then, you know, but we're all there. We're all on some sort of path anyway. Right. It, it is. It's a um, it's an archetypal path that we all travel. And like you just said, you know, everybody who's listening to this right now, there is that within you that is responding to this. And th there's not a, a coincidence there. You know, that isn't random. Um, we're drawn towards, you know, certain teachings and certain expressions that really are a manifestation of our higher potential that we sense within ourselves. And, uh, we, you know, we can follow that and, and grow. Yeah, I want um, I wanted to ask you about confidence, curiosity and grit and how that and you correctly stated he's got plenty of all three, you yes. know, mm -hmm. and it's something that, you know, personally, I try and work on all three of those things over over time. But how does that fit into your Zen practice? It's it's a big part of Zen is to understand these three pillars, actually, the three qualities of heart mind, you might say. That you that you really have to bring. I hate to say you have to bring, but are very helpful to bring with as much consciousness as possible in order to develop and grow yourself with gr the greatest spiritual depth. Um, and and it's it's really helpful to to look at these and to and to look because you've got faith, doubt, and determination. That's the way that we term them in the Zen tradition. And then, and then Pat and I kind of, you know, agreed on these other words, which are more maybe every day, um, confidence, curiosity, and grit, you know, they're, they're the same thing. 
And you could say that they're they're almost complementary, right? Because you could you could have faith in something and you say, all right, deep down, I know this is gonna work out. I know this is gonna work out. So I'm gonna, you know, I, I need to have that core belief. But then at the same time, <laughs> you're gonna question things. It's like, well, let's see, how can I do this better? What's going on here? All right, is something going wrong? All right. And you could, at a certain level, you can say, well, these are opposites, right? Either you're confident something's going to happen or you're questioning, you know, how to do it better, but they're not opposites. They're actually two archetypal modalities of ourselves is to both be extremely confident and to know that we can understand better, we can improve ourselves, we can go deeper, right? Yeah. So you have these two that are sort of in this dynamic relationship with each other because they're semi, you know, opposed or, or complementary, I think better word. And then you have that happening and then you just have grit. Yeah. You just have so those are doing their dance and then it's just like, you know what, just do it. Yeah. Just whatever you do, just do it. That's yeah. the just do it part of it. Okay. Just keep your nose going forward. Take the next step. Be gritty. Persevere. Maybe right. perseverance is the expression of that. My my teacher Shishin Roshi, um, his like mantra was just keep going, just nice. keep going. He would say this. We yeah. come to the end of a seven day retreat, you know, and we're all kind of wrapping up and we're ready for rest. And, and he was beautiful and gentle in his recognition, you know, that we had all gone through a great process. And then he would say, okay, you know, don't, don't like hold on to anything you've, you've attained in this retreat. Don't look for anything new, but just keep going. Yep. That's and uh, that's that. That's the perseverance. It's fantastic. I, uh, my uncle who originally taught me about Buddhism uh, had, a, he said, keep going all the time. He actually yeah. wrote a book. And he's called it keep going and kind of just, you know, it's it's a great expression. And and I do want to comment also on curiosity, because I think that um, my personal curiosity with all this has really taken me a long way. You know, when I first became interested in, in Buddhism, I was curious. I was reading books. I was interested. I wanted to learn how to meditate better. Then I met you and my curiosity went way up because we started working together. And I started learning more about it. And now I'm, I, I'm like, I want to learn, you know, I want to go to a monastery and I want to go to India. And, you know, I want to just dive into this because I'm interested in it and I'm curious about it. And I've noticed that I've changed because of that curiosity, because I've taken the time to study and read and work on this podcast with you. It's my knowledge has gone up, you know, and I, I feel better and stronger because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to keep learning, right? Uh you know, when we stop learning, we uh, we die. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So one one final thing that I wanted to bring up, he had a quote and he got excited about it, as only Pat can do. How in the now creates the wow. OK, and I thought that was, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And so can you explain how you take that expression? I love that one, too. I, I heard him say that in an interview from like 10 years ago or so that we listened to before I listened to before talking with him. And then he repeated it. It's it's so good. The, the how in the now creates the wow. So that that's all about it. It's how we do what we do. That's the game of Zen. The game of Zen is about the how you do what you do. The, the other games are about, you know, achieving something and you know scoring and and making you know getting the end result but you know 
those of us who are high performance athletes, I, I'm not a high performance athlete, but I am an athlete. You know, you, you focus on your technique, right? When you're an athlete, it's all about technique. And then whether you win or lose, that is not in your control, but your mastery of how you do your art, your work, live your life that you do have a lot of control over. So that's where, that's where you bring it. And then you see what happens. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, any, any final summary or thoughts about uh, meeting Pat and our conversation? I think the, um, I, I love your questions. I appreciate your, uh, you know, resonance with his spirit too, and for bringing him in. Um, I, I just really resonated with how high he is on, you know, this type of work. You know, here's a guy who can be doing whatever he wants in his life and, you know, doesn't need to be doing any, any type of development or practice like this. And, and the fact that he has just had this, you know, life-changing experience and he's applying himself to it with great humility in great service. You know, he's got a wonderful sangha that, he, that he's serving yeah. and he, he came on our podcast without a second thought, you know, yeah. he just agreed right off the bat. He's, his generosity, yeah. you know, just really pours forth. So um, he's, he's a wonderful model um, yeah. for how to be. Yeah, you know, and and I I've always been uh, he's been an inspiring and an inspiration for me for many years. You know, just the way he worked, uh, you know, the Sixer thing, and just like watching him operate. And I knew a lot about him and his career. However, I've now learned a lot more. You know, there's a lot more to him than the businessman and the successful entrepreneur. You know, there's this depth to him that um, I was super impressed with. And he's he's a, he's a super nice person. He was very generous. So, you know, we want to thank Pat again for all the time that he spent with us. And I hope the listeners got a lot out of it. He's, he's a fantastic guy. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning into our post-game wrap-up show. Um, this post-game wrap-up show is brought to you by... <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have a sponsor for it. It's just us talking and enjoying uh, the moment. So anyway, uh, we hope that you will subscribe and share this podcast and comment and listen wherever you get your podcasts. And We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for joining us on this exploration into Zen Buddhism and its transformative influence on work and life. We hope you'll subscribe, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. May your journey be one of continuous growth and mindful living. From all of us here at Game of Zen, wishing you peace and prosperity on your path ahead.